Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Thursday, April the 5th, 2018. 8 a.m. Eastern Time, your first daily dose of happy for the day. And I have to say, I'm not used to not having Joel here on a Thursday. He's enjoying himself and uh, his his adopted son is enjoying himself uh, on the beach in Florida at, at the bench, the site of his, uh, of, of the, the, the origin of his book by the same name, the, the bench and having a great time. I saw a little, uh, live broadcast he was doing with his smartphone last night and he's having a good time. So we're happy for him. But well, the good news. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the good news is that Cindy gets to sit in today and that's terrific. So we got, yeah. we get three shows out of you this week. That's, a, that's a good thing. How you I doing? Know, it's like a special edition. That's right. <laughs> no, this is a special edition. I like that. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. What part of uh, Florida is Joel in? Uh, St. Anne Marie Island. I'm not sure exactly where it is. I believe it's on the Caribbean side. Um, I don't know how far up or down the coast it is, but uh, oh, wow. it's a spot that he used to live near. He grew up in Florida, and it's a spot that he goes back to annually because it was the first place he went to when he was still climbing out of his gambling addiction and it has become a very meaningful place for him since then to, to go back and kind of recenter himself and regroup and so forth. And plus also when one of his first sons who he adopted um, tragically got killed in a car accident a few years back, he scattered the boy's ashes there after, um, you know, after the service. And so that has an extra meaning for him. So he has a lot of meaning in that place. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, and what a beautiful place to be able to go back to. Oh yeah. And he actually <laughs> you know. wants to, he, his dream right now in terms of residence is to find a place to live right there on the beach near the bench. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, yesterday, um, we, we talked about the book that you're editing with all of these fabulous stories and that there were stories of people that were and, and he was one of them originally, right? That manifested a place to live, a wonderful apartment. Uh, let's see. Did he write that one? No, no. He, that was not one of his stories. Okay. Okay. I don't know why I thought that was him. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I got a bee in my bonnet yesterday, uh, after reading those stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because we live on the outskirts of downtown in a beautiful neighborhood and i i love my house so i have no intention of selling it or moving or anything like that um but we stayed downtown in the midst of the kind of hustle and bustle of the city last summer for about 3 weeks while we were having some work done in the house and i really really loved it and sometimes i've gone back and forth with you know i really did love living down there and then I think, well, no, but I don't want to sell my house. And yesterday I read those stories and I was like, well, why can't I just, you know, have access to a place to stay down there when we want to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> dream. I like possible, that. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and for listeners who are wondering, well, if Cindy's getting a copy of the stories, how can I get them? Well, Cindy's special. She's one of the co-hosts, so she gets to preview some of them. They're not actually quite ready for presentation to the public, but they will be. And just a reminder, by ke keeping listening to this podcast, you are going to hear at some point in the next, possibly the next week or two, I can't say exactly when, you're going to hear how you can get a free copy of the new book when it comes out within a very short period of time. So uh, you want to keep uh, keep tuning in so that you find out how to get that free copy. And I can and tell, I'll tell you, you, I previewed two stories out of the whole book, and I'm just 
ready to read the whole book now. And see how that's funny. It's, I read two stories and it sparked an idea and mm-hmm. I got excited and I, I actually started working on the steps that I would normally take when I want to manifest something really great into my life. And so I just can't even imagine reading the whole book. Who oh yeah. Over, there's over 50 stories in this book. I mean, this is going to be a, a mammoth anthology of manifestation stories and it's going to inspire I'm hoping thousands, tens of thousands of people, maybe even hundreds of thousands. It, it could conceivably get that big. It's just a question of, you know, how well does it grab onto the public's imagination? But uh, just based on the content alone, oh, yeah, this book definitely has a chance. It's very exciting. It's just so exciting what knowing about the possibilities are and the potential is and being really able to understand what other people have attracted into their life, it just always kind of builds a fire under me. And I think it does that for everyone. And so that's what we need more of. We need more of the excitement that comes with knowing the potential that we all have. Oh, I agree. In fact, this isn't like, oh, you know, we hear all the time. Somebody asked me yesterday, um, I bet somebody that actually hired me said, I bet you manifest a lot of things, don't you? <laughs> I said, we all manifest a lot of things, right? Actually, we manifest everything. Everything that comes into our lives, we manifest. It's just some of them we don't want. <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing is that, you know, I've seen this for a long time and we all do it. We all have like mo- role models and kind of, you know, heroes, people that we that we look to and say, oh, wow, they're really good at this. And we can all get really good at this. That's what the LOA Today podcast is about, helping all of us get better In fact, at it, being conscious it, about what we create. It's also about realizing we're already good at it. Yeah, we're really good at it. We really are. We just don't, we aren't aware of how good we are at it, but we're really, really good at it. We manifest stuff left and right. And it's all we're really trying to learn is how to basically discipline our focus, discipline our minds so that we're only focusing on the stuff that we want to bring into our lives and not the stuff we don't want. (laughs) You know, it's interesting when you said that I thought about when you said, you know, we do this all day long. We're really good at this. And I thought about breathing. Yeah. Most of us, we thankfully, most of us breathe without thinking too much about it. Right. Right, It's not a struggle for us. Exactly. And, and yet most of us aren't really good at deep breathing. Mm. We have to get conscious about it and we have to make the intention and, you know, breathe deep and focus on it and take, what do I say to people all the time when they're in a panic or something? Because shallow breathing is actually, a, stress is actually a symptom of shallow breathing, not right. the way around. So I'm always like, it takes like 30 seconds for you to take three deep breaths, but how often do we hold our breath or not think about it? And we have to get conscious of deep breathing. It's the same thing. We're manifesting all the time. And now we're just going to train our focus to manifest in a conscious way. It's funny because I've often thought to myself, why is it that people need to take breathing lessons? But that's what we do. We do sometimes need to take breathing lessons. It's so, right? I mean, it's so familiar to us. And yet sometimes we just need somebody else to help train us to start doing it the way that's most helpful for us. It's, it's funny. It's crazy. Right. So it's a good thing that we can do sort of a mediocre job of it, like automatically, or we'd all be dead, but we want to do, we want to master it. Right? That's we, right. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
So how have you been? I mean, have you had any uh, big wins in the last couple of days? Well, I mean, the one that stands out is third day of mirror work. Woohoo! Yeah. And I have to say, the first thing I said to myself, um, I told you earlier before the podcast, I'm not usually on the Thursday podcast. So my morning's been a little bit different. And when I walked in to get ready and I saw the mirror, I said, oh, hello, it's so good to see you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and so, yeah, and it's it's actually been, like I said, I didn't expect it to be super awkward because the first time I ever did mirror work, I went through that. So I was like, okay, I think I've got that part handled, though, kind of, oh, I don't want to do this part. Mm-hmm. But I'm surprised at how easy it has been. And I'm just really happy that I'm on a track to be consistent with it. Cause that's the thing I haven't done before. I've kind of done it on and off um, here and there, but never said, okay, 30 days, I'm going to do this every day. So that's the exciting part for me. That's very cool. I, I've actually been recommending it to people on Facebook lately today, especially there were like two or three different people who posted that they're struggling with stuff and I recommended it to them. One of them was a young woman from, I'm not sure what country, but it was a Muslim country. And she was complaining that she has no one to talk to. She's extremely depressed. Um, yeah. she, I mean, she's feeling almost suicidal. There's no one to talk to. No one, no one will listen. And she doesn't know how to climb out of it. And at first I expressed sympathy because I know what depression is like. It's a really miserable place to be. And then I suggested the mirror work. And went into some detail. I actually created like a little script for her to, to read to herself and so forth and suggested that she do it not just once a day, but as many times a day as she can, promising her that if she could do it many times a day and really stick to it, even if she's doing it, you know, just whispering it to herself, that within like a week she'll climb out of the depression. Because I really believe if she really does do it throughout the day continuously, it will it will produce quick results for her. And she wrote back with this absolutely glowing, thank you so much, um, reply i felt felt wow i'm I'm so glad i had the mirror work to share with her to get that kind of reply oh that's so wonderful and you know when you said she said she doesn't have anybody to talk to and that's a really hard place to be when you feel like when you feel alone yes and lonely and like there's no one you can talk to and how wonderful that you just like gave her someone to talk to not just you but the mirror i gave her herself to talk to yeah 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 that's fantastic. I, I too, and partly because of your glowing experience with it and with the total cessation of the negative mental chatter, um, I ha- I've been recommending it more. I've recommended it fairly often in the past to clients that had particular things going on. But now, especially when I, when I have somebody say, you know, when I can, I can, you can tell when you talk to somebody for a length of time, what their self-talk is like, because it comes out. Yeah. And they'll say, oh, well, I don't know why I did that. I'm an idiot, you know, and it's like, (laughs) okay, let's talk about how you talk to yourself. And so people, anyone that's complained to me about just negative thoughts and negative mental chatter, I've been telling them your story, you know, and, and putting them on that track. So it's kind of in a really cool development. <laughs> That's great. It, I, I've actually had an interesting development of my own. The The negative self-talk that I've gotten rid of is that little voice in the back of the head. That voice mm-hmm. has gone silent. What I've noticed since then is that I generate my own self-talk 
deliberately. <laughs> and it's not always positive. Sometimes I'm generating negative self-talk. It's not that, it's not the voice. It's me doing it deliberately. You know, like I, I get, I see something I get pissed at and I just go after it, you know? And then afterward I say, well, why did I do that? <laughs> I do hear the sirens. Yes. Well, that's because they're coming to take me to the hospital to see if I'm okay. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, wow, that was appropriate. <laughs> Very appropriate. Yeah. I mean, this is yeah. a 9-11 emergency going on here, wow. but, <laughs> but, uh, no, seriously, what I have decided to try to do, and I actually started doing it today, was to include in my mirror work more stuff specifically toward finding ways to just letting go of doing the deliberate negative self-talk because I get upset about something and just letting stuff go, letting stuff go, letting stuff go. And I'm hoping if I can keep doing that on a regular basis as part of the mirror work that maybe I can let go of all the negative self-talk, not just the voice in the back of the head. We know that's that's really an interesting thought to consciously like we we know that there's contrast. I mean, and we're never going to get away from contrast completely because we don't have control over, you know, other people's behavior. And we live in a world that, you know, people get flat tires and stuff happens. And so. Recognizing that this is how I react when something you know, comes my way. That's really frustrating. And then consciously choosing what do I want, you know, which would be a response instead of a reaction. Right. So it's like, I don't want to react. I want to have a response. What do I want that response to be? Mm. And then choosing it deliberately and then doing it, you know, just in the same way. It's like when I walk into the bathroom in the morning and I see the mirror, I don't want to cringe away from it. I want to say, Hey, it's good to see you. (laughs) So it's just an interesting idea to me. It's like, okay, what what is a good response to things that, you know, aggravate us, make us... Well, I know what some of it is some of the time. Uh, what, for instance, what sent me off today was while I was looking on Facebook and posting to that group and so forth, I saw something over on the side. I was on my desktop, so I had the full screen, right? And I saw over on the side some little news article. I don't even remember what the topic was now, which is a good thing, but... For whatever reason, I kind of skipped my rule and clicked on it and saw this article pop up and looked at the article and was incensed at just how insane the author was. I mean, the author, what the author was saying was making no sense. And I found myself getting all worked up about it. And I even got to the point where I'm, I'm like talking out loud saying, Oh, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. And then I said, Whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> You know that that stuff's unhealthy. Walk away from it. <laughs> I feel like there's a huge group of people that are all listening right now, and we're all nodding our heads yeah, about right. looking on that news article and having that response. It's, I feel like saying, you know better than this. What are you doing? <laughs> I feel like for certain I've said that to myself in the last, I don't know, uh, 48 hours. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why did you read that? <laughs> All you're doing is driving yourself crazy. You Do you enjoy feeling crazy? Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, th- there's a balance, I think, that we have to keep with staying abreast of what's going on in the world. I think it's important. I, some law of attraction people may not think it's important and may think that it's fine to just, you know, look away. And that's fine, too. Um, I think it's all what whatever makes us feel better. I feel better when I can take some action. I feel better when I know what's going on. I feel better when I can respond in a way that feels empowering to me. 
Um, but that, sometimes that's like walking a tightrope to is. be able to do oh, that yeah. without falling off and being frustrated and like, what is going on? You know, that yep. kind of thing. Yep. And so, it's yeah, a I very totally fine line. <laughs> yeah. That, I agree with you. I mean, there are times when I do the same thing there. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest. I've said this before. There are times I'll actually read a news article in order to laugh at it because I need a good laugh. Because let's be perfectly honest, a lot of the stuff that's out there is just plain crazy. <laughs> it's just a lot silly. Of the stuff that's out there in the past year, the Onion was writing the year before. Yeah, right. right exactly. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you can laugh at it, and I often do, then that's a good thing. And like you say, if you're empowered by it, that's a good thing too. You just want to make sure that you don't let it trip you up. That's not such a good thing. So this is funny, you know. Last night, um, I've been trying to get into the habit. Well, I think I, I have a pretty good habit of waking up and falling asleep. We've talked about this before. Kind of the last thoughts you have, the first thoughts you have. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, yesterday at the end of the podcast, we were talking about five um, ways or five methods, five tools, whatever you want to call them, that will allow us to fill the void so that all the good things can get to us. Mm -hmm. And there, I remembered there were five and I'm laying in bed and I could only think of four because <laughs> there was a certain thing that was going on with someone that I had recently talked about. And I thought, Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to think about this thing in the context of those five tools. Mm -hmm. So what would pivoting about it sound like? And what would, what would a what if story be like? Right. Mm -hmm. But I could only come up with four. And oh, I was like, what what's the fifth one? The I finally had to get out of bed. <laughs> look at the book. <laughs> and go get the book. And it was, and it was better feeling thoughts. Oh, like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> at that point, you say, I got out of bed for that. Really? Like, well, all of this is about better feeling. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's the one I missed. But, so, you know, we we don't always reach right away, but I think sometimes it feels better to be informed. And then, you know, we may go over that line and get too informed and feel crazy. So it's just each of us has to find that balance, I think. Yeah, it's important to know where your line is. And once you realize that you've crossed the line, say, oops, I think I went too far. Where's the way back? Exactly. <laughs> and then walk it back as fast as you can. Well, I'm excited. We, you know, started this week into the, the second part of our book, Money and the Law of Attraction, and finally got into part two, which is titled Attracting Money and Manifesting Abundance. So getting into that and continuing on that today, do we have any um, announcements that we want to make before we dive in? Uh, well, we've already kind of announced the fact that pr progress is being made on the book. I have completed the first round of editing of all the stories. I'm now putting the, the actual book together, you know, story by story, chapter by chapter, and putting in all the writer credits and all that kind of thing. And in the meantime, I've been reaching out to the authors because we're all going to be promoting this together and sharing the plan with them. So progress is being made, and, and that book's going to be coming out really soon. And Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good news. This is, this is going to be good news all the way around. And then... Uh, I think most people know it now, but I'll mention it anyway. Sunday nights, we are now doing these podcasts on Sunday nights rather than Sunday mornings. Um, so in the eastern time zone, eastern half of the United States or eastern quarter of the United States, um, that time zone is uh, – we're doing it at 8 p.m. eastern time 
on Sunday night. So if you've been looking for us in the mornings, we're no longer there. We're there in the evenings. <laughs> awesome. Great. Well, that seems like it may be a time that people would, would actually listen live. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're getting more live yeah. listeners. We've even had some calls, which we hadn't had before on Sunday mornings. So this is a good thing. It's a good thing yeah. all around. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, we're we're on a section. I wanted to kind of back up and just point out those five things again. So yeah, those are good. Our, they're, they're they're like our our um, working outline. This is what we're we're aiming at in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. So offering offering better feeling thoughts, telling a different story, looking for positive aspects, pivoting to the subject of what you really do want, and looking for positive what ifs. That's that's the toolbox right there. There it is. It's right there. That's now, it. now we and just have to learn how to apply it. Exactly. So we're on a section that's called neither money nor poverty makes joy. So Jerry says, Abraham, and if you're following with us in the paperback, we're on page 65, Money and the Law of Attraction. And this is Jerry speaking. He says, Abraham, there's a saying that money doesn't make for happiness. On the other hand, I've noticed that poverty doesn't make for happiness either. But still, it's obvious that money isn't the path to happiness. So if the idea of achieving something does bring us happiness, does that mean the achievement is an appropriate goal for us to set? And how does a person maintain his or her feeling of happiness when reaching one's goal is taking a lot of time and energy? It often seems that there is a sort of uphill climb to reach the goal and then a short plateau of rest, but then an almost immediate tedious climb to achieve the next goal. How does a person keep all of the climbing towards their goals joyous so there's not that struggle, 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 and then, wow, I've made it, but then struggle, struggle, struggle. Oh, here I've made it again. That's an interesting question. It's a good question. Abraham says, you're right. Money is not the path to happiness. And as you have observed, poverty certainly is not the path to happiness either. It's so important to remember that when you offer any action for the purpose of achieving happiness, you're truly going about it in a backward way. And how many times do we do? We hear this every day, right? We hear, I'll be happy when. Mm -hmm. And that's apparently going about it the backward way. (laughs) Instead, use your ability to focus your thoughts and words toward things that cause you to feel better and better. And once you have deliberately achieved a state of happiness, not only will wonderful actions be inspired, but wonderful results must follow. I remember the first time that concept came to me, and it was through an Abraham uh, book. I don't remember. It may have been this book. I'm not sure. But the first time that it occurred to me that my goal was simply to get happy without any regard to what's going on in my life, but just getting myself into a happier place because I can get myself to a happier place, that was both alarming and illuminating at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It was alarming because, oh my goodness, how do I do that? And it was illuminating in that, wow, if I can do that, apparently everything else starts to work. So I really want to learn that. I often think that we just put the cart before the horse we think that especially when we have an emotional goal which we all it always is you know the studies show that 
all of our decisions are made by emotions, right. even though we think we're making them for a logical reason, we te- we typically make a decision coming from an emotional space. And then we use our logical side of our brain to justify why we did it. Exactly. And whenever someone wants to, it's usually peace, happiness, freedom. Those are the things we really want to feel that if we keep digging down, mm-hmm. you know, when someone says, I want X, it's like, well, what will having this thing give you? Well, if I had this, you know, it's like money. People say, well, if I had money, well, what would having more money give you? Well, I'd be able to pay all of my bills. Well, what, what else would happen after that? Well, then I'd be able to, you know, I'd be able to travel something I always wanted to do. And I'd be, and well, why do you want to travel? If you keep digging down, you usually get to freedom. Mm-hmm. And so true. it's that idea that they're telling us, well, just find things that make you feel free now. One of the examples that I've used in my career, I, most of my career has been as a marketer. And so if I'm trying to teach basic concepts of marketing to someone, or if I'm talking with another marketer and sharing ideas, I like to point to the example slash story of the person who goes to buy a new car. And in this story, uh, the, a man walks into a new car showroom. He's there to buy a car. And as he walks into this new dark car dealership, um, you have to understand he's a family man. He's looking for a car. Um, his car, his family needs a new car. And he walks in and he sees the cars that are on display there. And there are two of them that capture his attention. One is an SUV with all the kinds of features that a family could possibly want. The other one is a beautiful, bright red, brand new convertible. And he can just imagine himself flying down the highway, the, his hair blowing in the wind and just loving the power and the ability to maneuver in traffic and all this stuff and just flying down the highway in this convertible. He loves the convertible. It's so beautiful. The lines are great. You can see it's got like you know, something like 300 horsepower or something like that. It's, it's just this fantastic car. Wouldn't it be great to have that car? And then he sadly looks over at the SUV and he concludes, <laughs> you know what? I, I, that's what I, I think I have to look at. And the salesman comes over and asks him what he wants. Well, I'm here to buy a new car for the family. And the, the, the salesman says, well, we have this wonderful SUV over here and starts explaining all the benefits and the features of it. You know, it's got the, the movies to keep the kids happy. It's, it's full of all the bells and whistles, yada, yada, yada. All the, all the reasons why it's so good as a family car. And the guy says, yep, uh, I think that's the car I need to buy and makes the purchase. So the average person listening to this story will say, well, that man made that decision based upon logic and reason. His emotions said to him he wanted to buy the convertible, but he overrode his emotions and made the rational purchase. And my response to that person is, you have no idea what you're talking about, because that man never intended to buy that convertible at all. His original intent walking into that showroom was to buy the SUV because he loved his family more than any convertible. And I was going to say that's the emotion that drove the uh, purchase. Exactly. Exactly. It is that he loved his family and he knows that that's what they need. That's right. Yeah. So, so what, what people would call a rational, logical decision was actually an emotional decision. Right. And then we, and then it gets justified. Well, this is the, this is the right thing to do. That's right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Just like you were describing. Yeah. So. I think that this is really interesting that we 
we can realize that we need to get there emotionally first instead of expecting that something or some other person is going to, you know, bring us the happiness. It's, I, that's why I love so much about the last paragraph that we read before we closed out last night is mm-hmm. that, you know, these things you've been wanting will flood in not to fill your void, but because the void no longer exists. Because the void no longer exists. Yeah. That, that's a tough concept when you're, especially when you're in the place of lack. How do you fill the void if the, you know, how, how do you make it so that the void no longer exists if you have a void? <laughs> well, and I think that what we're talking about is that the void that we're talking about is that emotional space. Yes. And we think we can fill that emotional space with things or people or whatever mm-hmm. experiences. Yep. And so that's the void we're talking about. There may still be a void in the bank account. <laughs> there may still be a, a empty spot in the driveway where a, a new car wants to be. We, we might still have the void in the physical space, but it's the emotional space that we're talking about. And when we, when we can fill that with happiness, then the other spots start filling up too. It reminds me of a conversation I'm having again on Facebook. I, I've, I've, befriended a number of people in that law of attraction changed my life group. And so they're, you know, they're, they're having personal conversations with me trying to resolve issues they have. And it's interesting how often we get stuck on that things void space, right? Like you just described the the void in the driveway, the void in the bank account, whatever. Um, There's one young woman. I'm not sure exactly where she's from, but uh, she's been asking me questions for quite some time. And the question is always the same. Um, essentially, she has a boyfriend who wants to go to university, and the only way she can be with him is to go to university. So she's trying to manifest getting into the university, and she can't get there. And every time that we walk through stuff, I, I'll get her to a point where she's looking at it a different way and approaching it a different way. And then a few days later, she comes back to me with the same thing. Well, my boyfriend says <laughs> it's the same story over and over again. Right. And it just illustrates how easily we fall into the trap of, yeah, but the bank account is empty. The car is not in the driveway. And that's all I can focus on. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a habit. It's a mental habit. And so that's what we're doing with these tools and with this information is working on creating new habits that serve us better and that cause us to have more joy instead of always focusing on the lack. Mm -hmm. So it says most people give the majority of their attention. And I believe this is still Abraham speaking. Most people give the majority of their attention to whatever is happening in their experience right now. It's exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Which means if the results please them, they feel good. But if the results do not please them, they feel bad. But that's really going about life the hard way. If you only have the ability to see what is, then things cannot improve. You must find a way to look optimistically forward in order to achieve any improvement in your experience. When you learn how to deliberately focus your thoughts toward good feeling things, it's not difficult to find happiness and maintain it even before your goal has been accomplished. The feeling of struggle you are describing happens because of the continual comparison of where you are right now in relationship to the goal you're reaching for. When you constantly take score, 
noticing the distance that still needs to be traveled, you amplify the distance, the task, and the effort. And that's why it feels like such an uphill struggle. When you care about how you feel and so choose thoughts on the basis of how they feel, then you develop patterns of thought that are more forward-looking. And as the law of attraction then responds to those better-feeling thoughts, you get more pleasing results. Struggle, struggle, struggle never leads to a happy ending. It defies law. When I get there, then I'll be happy is not a productive mindset because unless you are happy, you cannot get there. When you decide to first be happy, then you will get there. This is really good it, it, because I'm thinking about that young woman. She, she sent me a message just as we we're getting ready to do the podcast. I'm thinking, I'm just going to transcribe this and send it to her. Because this yeah. is addressing exactly what she's doing. This is perfect. Now, are you talking about the, the young woman that wants to be at university with right. her boyfriend? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the road I would always go down with someone in that situation was asking them, what will they have if, if that were to come true? What would that give them? And because there's something that she wants, and this is her strategy to get it. It's not. It's not the real need. The need isn't to go to university. <laughs> that That's just the strategy to get a, an underlying need met. Th that's true. And actually, I've tried to approach it that way. The thing that she does whenever I try to approach it that way is she makes it clear that she's coming from a position of need. And the need is, in her mind, um, unconquerable. So she is a victim of her need. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how I play the mind game with her and try to you know, get her to play it out or whatever, she gets stuck on that need. So that's why I'm thinking she needs to understand that her need is what's causing her to get the, the bad results that she's getting. Yeah, so our, our, when we get the idea, when we get it, really get it clear, get it in our head, the difference between a need and a strategy, we recognize that most of the time, the things we think are needs are just strategies, mm -hmm. you know, and be even being with with a, a boyfriend. And I mean, I can totally understand that. You know, I don't want to be separated from my loved one either. Um, but that still isn't the real need. There's like an underlying need that's a basic human need there. It may be for companionship or support or, you know, whatever it is. But once you figure that out, and you can get that need met, then the other things often fall into place. I agree with you. I agree completely. And I've, I've tried to get to the root of that. She resists it. She, and, and it's Facebook. I mean, there's only so much you can do in, in a Facebook there's message. There's only so much you can do. You know? This is true. It's not, and everybody's in their own space, exactly. right? Yeah. So sometimes they're not ready. And they're not, no. I, I feel like if, if we're in a place where we're just not getting it yet, it's because it's not time for us to like, we're in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. <laughs> it's like, so, okay. So next subsection, I am here as a joyful creator. Which, <laughs> That's which I what like. you can send, right? <laughs> Whether you know it or not, you came here to be a joyful creator. That is exactly Abraham, right. Abraham says, you are not here as accumulators or regurgitators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you are here as creators. When you're looking toward an ending place, you exaggerate the feeling of lack 
between where you are now and that ending place. And that habit of thought can not only slow down the progress of your creation, but can hold it apart from you indefinitely. You are the attractor of your experience. As you look for positive aspects and make an effort to find good feeling thoughts, you will hold yourself in a place of positive attraction and what you want will come faster. The sculptor of a work of art does not derive his greatest satisfaction from the finished piece. It is the process of creation, the sculpting of the piece, that gives him pleasure. That is the way we would like you to view your physical experience of creating, continual, joyful becoming. As you focus your attention upon things that feel good and achieve a consistently joyful state of being, you will then be in the position of attracting more of whatever you want. I like that idea of the process Yep. being where we get our, our pleasure. Um, sometimes people complain that it seems unfair that they have to become happy before things that bring more happiness can then come to them. They believe that when they're unhappy, they need, <laughs> this is exactly what we were just talking about. It is. They need the happy events to come. But when they're already happy, then the happy events are unnecessary. Exactly, yeah. But that would defy the law of attraction. You have to find a way of feeling the essence of what you desire before the details of that desire can come to you. In other words, you have to begin to feel more prosperous before more prosperity can come. Ooh, that's my affirmation. See, I feel rich. There it is. Yeah, right there. That's really, really it, is that... We have to feel it. What Neville Goddard says to assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled. It reminds me of this exact sentence here, feeling the essence of that thing, what we think it would bring, the essence of what you desire before the details of the desire can come to you. And that is a skill. It's it's a skill that has to be learned. It's a skill that has to be mastered and it takes practice. Right. So if if you're listening and you don't have that skill and you're saying like, yeah, I can't do that or I don't do that. That's not who I am. I, I don't usually think of things that way. I, you know, <laughs> all that's the way the brain works. Right. It's like because we don't have the experience and it just takes practice It does, and more practice and more practice until we can master it. So don't give up. No, definitely don't give up. I mean, that's one of the things I love about what Sean Aker teaches, because this is literally what he teaches, that you have to master happiness before you can master success. One comes before the other. It's not the success that comes before the happiness. It's the happiness that comes before the success. And they know that because of all the studies they've done, tracking people to find out if you're a happy person, are you more successful? Or if you're a successful ha person, are you more happy? You know, Which one leads to what? And they find very consistently, study after study, If it, it, the numbers are kind of like an average, but this is based on what I've heard him say. If, if you're trying to achieve success in order to be happy, you will, be, you will reach that goal about 10% of the time. If you're trying to be wow. happy first in order to be successful, you will achieve your goal about 90% of the time. And Amazing. It's a stark difference. Yeah, <laughs> it's a stark it's one, difference. It's one extreme to the other. It really well, is. Like, you know, I keep wanting when I have we've talked about this before, too, because it's a thing that comes up all the time. You've seen it in the Facebook group a lot. I see it with people who contact me. Right. And that's wanting to get either get an ex back 
or get a specific person. Like I have to have this specific woman or man in my life. Like mm-hmm. I, I won't be happy until I'm, I'm like, look, if you can't be happy without them, then you won't be happy with them. That's right. Right. Okay. So the last paragraph on this page, anyway, I'm not sure if it continues. Um, often people tell us that they want more money. And when we ask them what their balance of thought is about money, they proclaim that they have a very positive attitude about money. But as we probe a bit deeper, asking them how they feel when they sit to pay their bills, they often realize that while they may have been attempting to sound positive about the subject, they've actually been feeling a great deal of worry or even fear around the subject of money. In other words, often without realizing it, the majority of their thoughts about money have been on the not enough side of the subject rather than on the abundant side of the subject. Correct. And that's, I, we hear that so much. No, I don't have a problem with money. (laughs) I've said it myself. (laughs) Yeah. I've said it myself too. And you know, one thing, one thing I did actually at one time, um, when I was in sort of a financially tight situation I actually started thinking about, well, what do I really like? And when I pay bills, I like to pay all of my bills on the first of the month. And I, I have a notebook just to keep track of everything. And it's like, I love checklists. I love to check those boxes (laughs) off, you know? So I will just check off, 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 pay, paid, 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 paid. And it's such a great, like, I love to pay bills. I know that sounds crazy to some people, but I've had, times in my life where paying the bills wasn't happening because I didn't have the money to pay the bills. Mm. So I love to pay bills. Like I love that I can pay the bills. Yeah. This electric bill means that I've been enjoying air conditioning and lights and right. this water bill means that I've been enjoying bubble baths. You know, it's like, no, I like to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. And so I got into that spot and I thought to myself, what, what do I really want to feel? And I thought about that feeling. I love the feeling of the bills are all paid and scratching off, checking off the boxes or crossing out each one that I paid and they're all paid. And so I just, I just kept spending some time doing that. Whenever I would start to get a little worried about money, I would take 15 seconds and I would shut my eyes and I would imagine what it felt like to have a pen in my hand and I could hear, I used all my senses I was like, okay, I usually have a cup of coffee or tea so I can smell the coffee and I can feel the pen in my hand and I can hear the little scratch it makes as I scratch out the paid this and I paid this. I can taste the sticky on an envelope if I have to mail a check somewhere. I really tapped into that feeling of, yes, the bills are paid. And you know what? That money just came right in. <laughs> That's cool. That's very cool yeah, and common yeah. too. That's the way it works. Yeah. Now here's what was really funny is that I just really, really let my body, not just my mental state feel what it felt like to be prosperous and pay the bills and get it all paid on time. But I could really feel it in my body because I tapped into all my five senses and I really felt it. Okay. So money came in. It was a a month or so later. um, And I, you know, of course there wasn't any worry and I went to pay the bills. And as soon as I scratched out on my notebook, one of the lines, I just got like this amazing feeling in my whole body. It was like a roller coaster. (laughs) And I just burst out laughing because I was like, wow, like I programmed that in, you know? So it's like paying the bills is like a really exciting thing. (laughs) 
you're like, <laughs> you, you, it reminds me. I've I've cited this cartoon so many times, but it's it's my favorite, so that's why I keep citing it. It's the guy, uh, the Far Side cartoon of the guy who's in hell, and he's he's sweeping in hell, whistling and having a happy time. And the two devils who are supervisor supervising him say to themselves, "We're not getting through to this guy." <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So. That's, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but, but that experience is exactly what we're talking about. It's like, I mastered the skill of being tapping in, ta- of tapping into what it feels like to have the bills paid. And that was really the last time I struggled with it. That's cool. That's a good thing. So, all right. I don't want to, let's see. We're on page 68. Moving right along. How the power of vibrationally spending vibrational money. Okay. I have no idea what they're talking about, so let's see. Yeah, that's a pretty vague headline, I have to say. Right? I, <laughs> you'll laugh, but we always talk about what headlines next so that we can prom- promote the podcast for that day. And right. I thought, oh, I'm kind of glad this wasn't. The this is it, right? <laughs> okay, let's see. Abraham says, Here's a process that can quickly help you shift the balance of your thoughts regarding money to a place where you can begin to let more money flow easily into your experience. Put $100 in your pocket and keep it with you all times. As you move through your day, deliberately notice how many things you could exchange this money for. I could purchase that. I could do that. Someone replied to us that $100 really does not buy that much in today's economy. (laughs) But we explained that if you mentally spend that hundred one thousand times today, you vibrationally spent a hundred thousand dollars. That sort of positive focus will dramatically change your vibrational balance about money. This vibrational spending process will cause you to feel differently about money. And when that happens, your point of attraction will shift and more money must flow into your experience. It is law. It reminds Someone- me. It reminds me of one of the processes that they describe in Ask and It Is Given. It's the process where you, you get a, a checkbook from the bank, and like a blank checkbook, and you put in, I think it's $1,000 as a, as a first deposit. You're playing an imaginary game here. And then mm-hmm. you, you figure out how you're going to spend that $1,000, and you record it as if you were writing checks to pay for whatever that thing is. And then the next day, you add $2,000, and then the next day, $4,000. You keep doubling it every single day. And the interesting thing about that game is if you play it for a while, after a few days of it, it's amazing how difficult it is to come up with new things to buy. Because you can't buy the same thing every time, you know? You're supposed to buy something different. And after a while, you say, well, what else do I need? (laughs) That is so funny because I played that game, uh, oh, my goodness, a long time ago. must have been 10 years ago or longer. And that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. It's like, and not too far into it. No, it doesn't take long. I mean, it really wasn't that far into the game, you know, that I was like, hmm, well, <laughs> what can I buy? So, it, yeah. I we, found myself very early on trying to figure out, well, can I invest it? Can I put it in a savings account? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so someone said to us, Abraham, I didn't have the $100, but I put an IOU in my pocket. And we said... That is defeating the process because you're walking around with a feeling of debt in your pocket, which is exactly the opposite of what you want to do. You want to feel your prosperity. And so even if it's only 
$20 or 50, or if it's a thousand or 10,000 that you have in your pocket, utilize it effectively to help you notice how good things are now. Because in your acknowledgement of your prosperous now, your prosperity must become more. I was just thinking of something as I'm, as you're reading this. <laughs> Many years ago, I worked as a bank teller. It was one of my first jobs out of college. And I remember one time somebody coming into the bank to make a deposit. And where I live, there are a lot of Italians. This is an older Italian guy. And he pulls out, it's almost stereotypical. He pulls out a roll of bills. <laughs> a wad of cash. A wad of cash. It's like it's like stereotypical old school Italian, right? He pulls out this wad of cash, this, this roll of bills, and he starts peeling bills off the top. And they're all $1 bills. And he just keeps peeling these $1 bills off. And I'm realizing he has this whole wad of $1 bills. <laughs> $1,000. I'm not even sure how much it was, to be honest. And I'm watching him do this. And I, I, I didn't want to say anything. I was a young kid, right? I mean, what are you going to say to this old guy? I just was, you know, sure, I'll be glad to help you. What do you need, right? <laughs> and he, 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 I don't remember how many he peeled off. He peeled off like a hundred of them or so forth. Put, put that pile of a hundred in front of me and says, I want to deposit this. I said, okay. So I, you know, did the paperwork and, and processed the, the deposit, handed him his receipt. And as he was getting ready to uh, put his wad away, I said, why do you carry your cash like that? And he said, because this way I'm wealthy. <laughs> I thought, I what, an interest, what an interesting idea. <laughs> it was, it was, well, you know, it's funny. I actually, and I'm trying to remember who it was. I just read this recently, but it was an older book. Hmm. I can't remember. But I, I read this that someone was talking about. They said, take, they actually said to take a hundred dollar bill or a $50 bill and then take a bunch of ones and put it in a money clip, you know, where the hundreds on the outside, where yeah. it looks like, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and then just make sure you always have that in your pocket because you're carrying around this wad of cash. So this is what this guy was saying. Exactly. He was saying, I carry it around because this way I feel rich. I feel rich. Yeah. <laughs> He had it going on. That's he awesome. got it. Yep. He figured it out. <laughs> okay. So this is going to be an interesting little section. Needing money won't attract it because we, th we hear this over and over and over. I've said it, right? I need more money. Needing anything won't attract it. You can take out the word money and just plug in blank. <laughs> it doesn't matter exactly, what it is. Exactly. <laughs> so Jerry says, Abraham, one of my greatest disappointments as I have worked to help people find greater financial success is that those who needed the money the most had the least success with what I was teaching them. While those who needed it the least had the most success with it. That always seemed backward to me. It seemed like those who needed it more would try harder and eventually they should succeed. Abraham says, anyone who is in a place of lack, no matter how much action they offer, attracts more lack. In other words, the powerful feeling outweighs any action that they offer. Any action that's offered from a place of lack is always counterproductive. Those who were not feeling need were not in a place of lack, and so their action was productive. Your experience was in absolute harmony with the law of attraction as is every experience. There's not a shred of evidence anywhere in the universe that is to the contrary of this that we are speaking of. Jerry says, also what I noticed was that by and large, 
Those who didn't achieve much success or weren't very interested in even hearing about achieving success were people who had been taught that to want money was evil or immoral and that the best thing for them to do was to remain as they were, even though they were unfulfilled. Abraham says the reason that many reach a place where they say that they do not have desires because they've wanted and wanted and wanted, but because they've not understood that every subject is two subjects, they've given more of their attention to the lack of what they've wanted than to what they've wanted. And so they continued to attract the lack of what they want. And then eventually they're just worn down by it. As a person begins to associate wanting with not having so much so that to want is an unpleasant experience. Then he or she says, I no longer want. Every time I want something, I get myself in this place of discomfort. And so it's easier for me not to want in the first place. I identify with that so strongly because that's exactly what I did. And, and not just with money. People do it. With, oh, yeah. Like people, people will say, you know what? I don't want a relationship. I'm that's, just going to. I said that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, pretty much with anything, yeah. right? It's like anything because it it really can wear you down to struggle and struggle and struggle to to attract something and just not be able to make it happen. So that's interesting. Now, Eventually, people give up. Now, now a, a peculiar thing did happen where relationships were concerned for me because after 22 years, I, I figured it out one day, it was 22 years as an adult struggling to find you know, a relationship that would last more than a month <laughs> of any kind. I didn't care what. No, not really. I wanted to have one, you know, I wanted to have a relationship with, <laughs> I wanted to have a relationship with somebody I really loved and who really loved me. But at that time I was feeling so depressed. I would have practically settled for anything. <laughs> but I finally reached the point where I gave up. I said, I, I just can't do this anymore. I mean, maybe I'm just doomed to be a bachelor for the rest of my days. I'll probably die young because I'm so depressed and miserable and all this kind of stuff. I just gave up. And a month later, I met my wife. <laughs> I, w I was just going to say, I bet that's when you met her. When you that's exactly when I met her. There was no resistance. There was anymore, no more right? resistance. I'd give it up. <laughs> and, and you know what? When you When you didn't have a good relationship and you were like, I can't get this to happen, that's what Abraham is talking about, about focusing on the lack. But at the point where you say, okay, I don't even, I'm not even going for this anymore. You've stopped focusing on the lack because you've decided, yeah, not even going to do it. I can't it. handle it anymore. <laughs> I love that story because I hear it so much in, in every area. It's like the person that's just struggling and struggling and struggling with, with a certain job or whatever. And as soon as they stop the struggle, <laughs> mm -hmm. they get the phone rings, right? Yep. <clears throat> By the way, that story, that story is going to be in the book. Oh, yay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that story is in the book. I'm glad about that. Yep. So let's see. Where are we on time? Because we've got a long section ahead. Well, we've got uh, an extra minute or so to, to use up from that uh, bit of silence we had. So um, I'd say we, we, we can probably yeah. start it. Let's give it a shot. Because this is a good subtopic heading. What if a... What if a poor one doesn't feel poor? Yeah, if we if we can't finish it, we'll start it again tomorrow. Or not tomorrow, Tuesday. Jerry says, if others who are noticing you and comparing you to themselves come to the conclusion that you're poor, but you don't feel poor, then you wouldn't be in a state of lack. And so you would be able to move quickly toward more abundance in that case, right? Abraham says, that's correct. Others' assessment of you has no bearing on your point of attraction 
unless you are bothered by their assessment. Comparing your experience to the experiences of others can amplify a feeling of lack within you if you come to the conclusion that they've succeeded more greatly than you have and you then activate within yourself a feeling of being less than, well, that's the number one way to go into Boy, deep depression is just oh, start comparing geez. yourself to everyone else. Absolutely. I'm, I mean, I am the all-time champion at that. I'd like to uh, challenge anybody to a depression <laughs> <laughs> wrestling a depression match because I bet you I'll win. <laughs> also, noticing a lack of prosperity in the experience of others does not put you in a place of attracting greater prosperity for yourself because you will be getting what you think about. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. What you do draw to or what you draw to you or keep from you has nothing to do with what anyone else is doing. An improved feeling of prosperity, even if your current reality does not justify the feeling will always bring more prosperity to you. Paying attention to the way you feel about money is a much more productive activity than noticing how others are doing. Allowing more money to flow into your experience requires far less than most people understand. All that's required is that you achieve a vibrational balance in your own thoughts. If you want more money but doubt you can achieve it, you are not in balance if you want more money, but you believe there is something wrong in having money, you are not in balance. If you want more money and you're angry at those who have more money, you are not in balance. When you are feeling those emotions of inadequacy, insecurity, jealousy, injustice, anger, and so on, your emotional guidance system is letting you know that you're out of alignment with your own desire. Most people make no effort in coming into personal alignment with the subject of money. Instead, they spend years, even lifetimes, pointing out perceived injustices, attempting to define the rightness or wrongness of the subject, and even trying to put laws in place to orchestrate the flow of money in the civilization, when a rather small effort, in comparison with the impossible attempt at controlling those outside circumstances, would yield them an enormous return. Nothing is more important than that you feel good. For when you feel good, you are in harmony with your greater intent. Many people believe that hard work and struggle are not only a requirement to achieve success, but that working hard and struggling long is more honorable, a more honorable way of living. Those hard times of struggle certainly do help you in the defining of what you desire, but until you release the feeling of struggle, what you desire cannot come into your experience. And I think we have to kind of leave it there because we're running out of time. So let's pick it up again next Tuesday. We'll, we'll mark this spot in the book. We will. We'll mark the spot. We'll just start back at that beginning. But that's an interesting way to close out is that knowing that paying attention to how someone else is doing with money isn't isn't necessarily going to put us in alignment. No, it's not not our best play, that's for sure. Next next not Tuesday we'll play. we'll have to explore exactly what is the best play. So that gives people a reason to tune in. Cindy, thanks for sitting in for Joel today. We appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Thanks for having me. All right, and we'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye everybody. Bye.